Recording with Brandon Weikert. I just cut Brandon off because I'm an asshole. I'm a terrible host. But I was just telling him he gets a lot more hate mail and hate messages than I do. And I feel like it's because I'm doing something wrong. For everybody listening real quick, in the link is the uh, in the description is the link to his new book, Biohack, China's Race to Control Life. Um, Brandon's been on here 12 times before. But now I'm going to shut the fuck up, post a live link. You were saying it's because you're primarily on Twitter, so you've kind of yeah. funneled all the hatred. Whereas I have, yeah, a, yeah. I have a bunch of different like spider webs out there to catch the yeah, schizos. Yeah, because like I know that you're hated. Like I oh, know yeah. that. <laughs> so like I see, I see it. Like so, um, no, I, I just I, um, I did recently get um, a true social account and a getter account. Okay. Um, not of my own volition. Uh, I was. Uh, uh, Thaddeus McCotter got twisted my arm into setting up. A, he's a former congressman. He, he twisted my arm into setting up a, a true social account. And then um, uh, Brian O'Shea, who's a new friend of mine, uh, Naomi Wolf's husband. Um, okay. He he was like, you got to get on Gitter, man. You got to go. And so I was like, oh, all right, I'll do it. Um, but I still I'm very bad. I, the only reason I do social media is because the publisher said it sells books. You have to. And so I do it, and maybe I do it too much now. It's sort of addictive, the hatred. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's the why I get all the hate mail. It's sort of condensed into one. or and Like, sometimes these weirdos have been finding me on Facebook, which is not really a public-facing account for me. That's sort of no, for that, my family. That's a different level of hate. Yeah, and so like this guy, there's a, if you go on Biohacks Amazon page, this guy Brian, uh, and I don't mean to give him promotion, but he's kind of weird. Um, he's been pinging me since March about how terrible I am, and claiming he's a Purple Heart recipient as well as a microbiologist and a virologist, and calling me every name in the book. So I, I've ignored him. So then yesterday he sent me this horrible message. And then all of a sudden I was sharing the link to my book and I saw I have finally a written review. And I was like, OK, cool. And it was this Brian guy and he just trashed the book as a microbiologist and a virologist. And I was like, oh, my God. So, like, you know, the ones who find me on Facebook, those are the creepy ones. That's a different those level. Are, That's yeah. That kind of starts yeah. to stray from like, ooh. Now it's yeah. see I have people on Facebook that hate me but it's it's people that have known me for a long time and then they yeah, look me at too. they look yeah, at my like platform and they're school. like oh yeah. this man disagrees with me politically and therefore yeah. he's a not you know kind of par for yeah. the course and you're like thank you you know thank you for hate watching it's still watch I still get paid for it yes. so thank you but and thank you for buying my book and writing a review yeah. even if it's negative because yeah. you're still giving me money by the way all <laughs> things that might be true he might be a virologist microbiologist veteran that doesn't make his that doesn't make the. I agree. That doesn't mean it's. You, I, you I could. Agree. It yeah. doesn't mean. So like I was talking because you know my wife, you know she's the geneticist, and so I was talking to her last night about this, and I was like, so, I was like, you know, this guy claims to be, and she was like, let me let me just stop you right there. She said, he could be a microbiologist and a lab tech. He doesn't necessarily know, you know. And and then she was like, because I said, you know, I worked very hard to get the science right in the book and mm -hmm. I'm not a scientist. And she was like, I know. She was like, and I'm telling you, they're not attacking you on the science. Yeah, they're attacking you on. They don't like you or they don't like your politics. Well, a, yeah. a, attacks are good, man. It means you hit a string. Oh, I, with I'm someone. not. Yeah. No, it's it is. Well, what what worried me though was with the with the whole contacting me over Facebook that's, or my because I have you know well, that was the part that I well, get a little like oh my god. Well, that's when you get to that you just don't engage. 
You just don't. No, that's don't why I didn't, and I didn't, I didn't. But but that's why I think he went over and then started flaming me on Amazon because he yeah. was PO'd that I'm not replying to him. When they start, uh, but I do love when you start getting. Personal I do love messages, the hate mail. That's when you check the deadbolts. And, that's right. And oil. Oh, well, we're, oil we, the are, gun. we are. Yeah. I, I am protected here. Yeah, I no, no. It's. It, it, uh, you know. yeah. Well, luckily, luckily, I've become friends with a lot of special forces guys. So I'll I just, know that. I'll just have Dale comment. I'll have Dale be like, Tommy's a friend. <laughs> it all it all stops immediately. It just it, it's it's a magical. I don't even Dale might actually be killing them. Fuck if I know. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, no. And another good a good reason to have all the other accounts. Well, one is redundancy, but two. It actually almost serves as like a, a weird like turnstile sort of filter for the madness. Yeah. Because people don't yeah. know which one you check. And so yeah. you just kind of it's like a like a, like a mosquito like a I don't know, like a mosquito like a fly catcher or something. I'll have I have like yeah. thirty unread messages on Gab. I leave those there. Right. Now I've just burned that source, but like, you know, I have right. other accounts that just leave them there. Let them, let them, let them pack up. And then, you know, like, you know, once, once a year, just kind of get shit faced and scroll through them all yeah. and just say, fuck you. And then just say shit yeah. that doesn't even apply. Just say like, thank you for your service. They'll be like, what? Like, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, the one that really gets them is, and I think it's because they're little demons. I always say, you know, I'll be praying for you. And that tends to really trigger these people. Oh, that's a good like, one. I'll you should say that. Say, I'll be praying for you. And and watch the, I mean, if, it's like you are pouring holy water on a vampire. Well, they are. If you really yeah. want to time, that's a good one. If I'd like to do the little mental pretzel, I just say, yeah, you're probably right. Don't don't read the comment. Yeah. Do not read the comment. Just say, yeah, you're probably, they're just like, did I just own them? You just say, yeah, you're yeah. probably right. Yeah, you're probably yeah. They're like, what? I just said that yeah. you're a neo-Nazi pedophile. I'm like, listen, between you and me, you're probably right. <laughs> like, what the yeah. fuck? But yeah. um, for everybody listening, so we're talking about Biohack today, um, which is a fucking terrifying book. And um, really, I mean, with with all the, you know, I, I, I burned through authors like like cigarettes. And I always try to take away like one, one real thing that kind of latches on. Every book has yeah. like one unique point that kind of catches on. You go, oh, that's something to re- that's something to remember from. Um, and I thought it was really cool, terrifying, but cool in that it stuck out. And it was, um, I think China, like they wanted dope testing. It, it was something ab- above the norm. It was like normally in the Olympics, of course, there's dope test, right, but there was right. some other testing of uh, all the Olympians or the Olympiads, whatever, in their country. And it was feared that they wanted, you know, saliva or hair or urine or yep. whatever samples, so that and it's kind of genius. So you could get genetic samples of, by definition, the most fit people from yep. every race. And yep. if you wanted to, then start to use those some back engineering or plasmid horizontal That's gene right. transfer, put the best genetics into your, which That's I mean, right. it's evil, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, fucking, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, and you know, you're right. And so that was actually based on a report that the, former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe for Trump. Um, he actually sent out a, um, a, a warning. He had our intelligence services put out a warning to the Olympic committee to, to warn the athletes go, going to Beijing. Um, they cannot give blood samples. They cannot do urine samples like they normally would because it's going to be conducted by Chinese personnel and they they're going to take that, genetic data they're going to put it into the beijing genomics institute that's their largest biotech company in china bgi they're going to put it in their gene bank 
which is I always think of when I when I was reading about this, I immediately thought, I don't know if you ever saw it, um, the opening 13 minutes of an otherwise OK movie. But the opening was phenomenal. Um, 2013 Man of Steel, when they're on Krypton and the whole thing is. Russell Crowe is Superman's dad. He's trying to steal the genetic template for all Kryptonians to send it to Earth. And and so I immediately was like the gene bank. I was like, this is like we're like crossing into like science fiction nightmare uh, stuff. And the giggle factor when I first started researching for the book, I was laughing. I was like, this is not real. But then I went through. And as you know, in the book, I have all my citations, all the academic. I went through and I was like, oh, my gosh. No, this is real. These guys are are legit. The science is there. Um, it's maturing. The science is, but the Chinese are getting in at the ground level. So they want to take the Olympian DNA samples, urine samples, whatever, and they want to put that data into the gene bank in Beijing, and then they want to use artificial intelligence. And they want to collate all that information together. And then for the case of gene doping, which is what you were talking about, they want to use CRISPR-Cas9, which is the gene editing tool that we created in America to do gene editing. Um, they want to use the CRISPR-Cas9 system to basically splice or edit in desirable Olympian traits into their military personnel. So they want to try to create... Uh, you know, the superhuman, the super soldier. Um, now, again, this is very basic level stuff right now. They haven't gotten to Captain America yet. Um, and um, but big things, as I say in the in the book, big things have small beginnings. So they want to start the process now. Collecting all the data is like the foundation. That's the key. And so by collecting all of this genetic data and putting it into this centrally located place, the gene bank, they will over time be able to manipulate that information according to their will. And one other thing, when I met my wife, when she was doing her genetic studies and I was talking to her about what she does, I looked at her and I go, you're not really doing medicine. She goes, what do you mean? I go, it sort of sounds like you're just a computer programmer. And she said, well, actually, in a way, genetics is just code. It's of a different kind. But basically, once we get in the lab, that's all we're doing is coding, basically. And so that's, you know, and, and so that's that I, I saw that report from 2019 from Radcliffe. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly exactly what they're doing. And maybe they can't do it right now, although there was reports from special forces saying that they were concerned that actually they had already gene doped Chinese soldiers and deployed them in a small unit to Russia's base in Syria, um, uh, Tartus, and were sending them on capture kill missions along with the Russians and the Syrians and the Iranians against the ISIS forces there. That was a rumor that I heard from certain people in the special forces community in 2018 or 19. And I put that in the book and I said, it's just a rumor. But the fact of the matter is they're definitely interested in collecting that information to use it eventually for the weaponization of that information. That's why I hated genetics in college because I liked I liked biology and physiology because yeah. Just, well, my what? wife's not doing it anymore. She was... she didn't she she she's at she's in the executive role now at our hospital system here. She much prefers that aspect. I loved uh, I loved blunt 
or yeah, blunt force memorization because it was very when people would be like, "How did you score so well?" I'm like, "It's very much like weightlifting. Just push harder." And it, right. it took right. it took no mental power. Genetics actually took executive function, and I hated that. Right? Yeah. It was right. A, she didn't big she didn't A, like little it. A times yeah. L. I'm like, I don't fucking give a shit about Drosophila <laughs> melanogaster. The SHC014. It's a wild type of allele. I'm like, Shh. yeah, just nuke it. Um, but yeah, you, and then you well, then you start thinking of. All other things you start thinking of. I mean, it's been our, the earliest I remember hearing about it was was 2008. I think 23 and Me, right? The original kind of ancestry right. doc. You, you swab sample. Where's that going? Who, right. who, who says that? What about COVID tests? Just send it away for antibodies. Well, what did you right. send away, and where did you send it away? Well, to this company. Right. Well, who owns that company? Where are their subcontract? Right. Oh, look, it's in Shenzhen. Huh? Yeah. But then that's the key. You know, um, you know. I think a fair counterpoint would be. So the Chinese weren't doing any sort of dope testing that was unusual. Well, then. Yeah, but they don't have to. I thought that I thought all I thought all the Olympic hosts host countries. Did no, no. Or that's the no, Olympic what I'm committee, saying, not China. No, no. What 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 I'm saying is they don't have to do anything out of the normal. They can collect a simple also, sample. Also, so that's my that's my yeah. point. Then that's my yeah. devil's that's my my devil's advocate for China. I'll change my flag to a Chinese flag now. Is if that's the norm in every other country that hosts every other Olympics, how come right. all of a sudden it's evil for China now? Well, they right. might well, take that's it for gene doping. Well, I mean, right. then who fucking, right. you know, what about the last time? Right. What, just playing devil's advocate, right? Is yeah, China no, I hear it. you. Um, um, there's no evidence, though, that the Europeans or the Americans have done it. I'm not saying we haven't, but there's no evidence. And one of the reasons that China's biotech firms have exploded in terms of capabilities has been because not just U.S. biotech firms or European biotech firms, but U.S. government agencies like the NIH, like Fauci's NIAID, they can't do the research they want to do here in the United States because there are ethical limitations just... and there are safety concerns. So what they're doing is they're just taking all that money and research and saying, OK, China, you do the heavy lifting and then we get the end product and we all you know walk away winners. So. I would argue that while we probably have the capability to take those things and do gene doping since we created CRISPR-Cas9, I do think that the United States, for better or worse, has a much more serious ethical and legal and regulatory environment that precludes our labs from doing that kind of risky research. Um, and uh, that's probably why China doesn't have a problem doing it, because uh, there have been times like with COVID where we've encouraged them to do these risky, yeah. foolish things. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is just the Tommy takes China side podcast, but like, you know, are we really against it if we out? You know, we're like, we you got to pay a you got to pay a livable wage in America because it's the land of the free. Where's your iPhone? Oh well, we outsource that to slave right. labor, and, and I'm not trying to be some fucking moral. I mean, I'm not going to not buy an iPhone. It's just, right. but <clears throat> you almost wonder if it's um, I think it's the correct phrase, a race to the bottom. And I always I always bring this point. Oh, up. absolutely, it's, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. the 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 when they went to pitch the H bomb to Truman, and it was like whatever the top scientists aside from Oppenheimer who were all in the Manhattan project. And I know I've said it so many times, the meeting was seven minutes long. They went in there, they gave their little presentation. I think Enrico Fermi called it a quote evil thing. Cause it's a thousand right. times stronger than an A bomb. And Truman said, can the Russians do it? And they said in a matter of years, and then he said, we have no choice. We'll go ahead. And it was, right. it was that as evil as the thermonuclear bomb is 
us not doing it isn't going to keep the Soviets from doing it. Therefore, we have to. Right. So, I mean, it kind of feels like the same thing with AI when people are like, we can't do AI. Well, if we don't do AI, I mean, do you think China's just going to say, hey, guys, let's. Right. Let's put, same thing with gene doping. So at a certain point, I mean, do we just have to say, like, do we want to die with our morals and go, at least we didn't do gene doping as super soldiers are sprinting across both coasts? Right. Or is it like, do you do you be the demon and go, yeah, you're allowed to fucking hate me, but, you know, at least we're not dead? Well, I in the book, though, I don't say we shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I know. I, what, I, what, what I say is that we should be, first of all, preventing China from doing it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I talk about the the tech transfers because China was able to catch up with us the way they were because our firms and it's across the board, not just in biotech, but in this case, specific case, biotech firms are basically in order to gain access to our capabilities for those biotech firms to gain access to the market share in China. They, they have, have to, to hand over. Right. And so what I say in the book, I make it clear, I'm not opposed to using biotech to cure illnesses or even if we want to get into the business eventually of perfecting. But I do want more standards and I want actual, you know, review boards and I want to be I don't want it just to be willy nilly. I mean, the biohacker community that I talk about uh, in Chapter 23 or I think it's Chapter 23 of my book, there's a biohacker community uh, that they want to basically take all the stuff they can get their hands on and just individually of their own free will kind of alter their bio biology according to their will. There's a lot of problems with that. I don't think we should be doing that. I think that's a very dangerous thing. But in terms of as a society, if we want to use biotech, that's fine. But I want to use it more responsibly than the Chinese are using it and certainly more responsibly uh, than how the government is handing over things to China for them to develop. Um, my my big issue, though, with uh, the what's going on now is we've now lived through COVID-19. We are now seeing what happens when we don't regulate the biotech industry. And we, we now look at all of the damage that was done unintended, you know, or maybe it was intended, but all of the damage that was done to our society alone, um, we, we, we really can't afford, in my opinion, to just have willy-nilly you know free-range biotech r&d going on it really needs to be close to regulated and frankly i i don't want china to have this capability at all because we know they will weaponize it against us is it a is it a is it a a lack of regulation that i mean obviously the answer is yes but i mean just to provide some friction in the argument is you know you talk about in the book you know China, you know, where you are, it's our basically like our divine right to be the global hegemon. And, you know, there's two ways to win. You either get better than everyone else or you pull everyone else down. It's always, in my opinion, it's always easier to just get better yourself. And I agree. So is it a lack of regulation, which I think probably every argument would say yes. Or is it that, you know, in the in the world of, you know, of geopolitics and countries going at each other, man it really it is it is law of the jungle like if you don't have the fear of god put into you you're gonna you're gonna go take advantage i mean did we not have a credible deterrence did china was it just lack of regulation or is it that they were feeling a little little cocky like hey these these pussies well it's some of that it's some of that and we certainly have regulations here at home but the problem is we're not at the international level organized to slow this down 
And so what I talk about in the book, the other thing I talk about is, and it's sort of like how we did the Artemis Accords, or we're trying to do the Artemis Accords for space, where we're basically trying to get as many countries to agree to a certain standard and level of development in space so that we don't have unintended consequences or unintended wars or whatever. Um, the same thing needs to be applied to the international level for biotechnology R&D. It's not that we don't want to do it. It's not that we shouldn't be doing it. It's that we need to have an international consensus. And America, as the still the dominant power in the world, has to lead on this. We need to create the international conditions whereby this kind of risky research and development is not going to be undertaken. And if it is undertaken, the country that does it will be punished. The problem is China's being rewarded. Um, for doing this kind of risky R&D. And so um, we need to have at an international level the ability to regulate this and to have some kind of consensus that we don't have right now. Um, and so that's the key issue uh, with with biotech in China. And so they're going to keep doing what they're doing because they, they can be, be rewarded for it. I agree with you. It's the law of the jungle. But even in the law of the jungle, there is somewhat of a consensus on what is allowed and isn't. Um, that's why until very recently, you know, you had the world really trying to stop countries like Iran or North Korea from really getting the nuclear bomb, because on some level there was a consensus among all the powers that we don't want this technology just willy nilly out there. Um, of course, that's changing now to some degree. But I think that we need something like that to slow things down and to sort of standardize the research. We want the positive side. But we want to mitigate the risks. Is it that, and this could very well just be an exhibition of my own caveman thinking, but I I tend to think it's because they don't they don't feel the fire under their. I mean, I just General Spalding just tweeted something this morning about Raytheon right. saying we can't decouple yep. from China because yep. they have. Yeah, I tweeted of, about it too yesterday. Yeah, yep. yeah, and and and. It's and, almost like a parody. Like it's well, almost I know. like said he was Dr. like Strangelove, you He's know? like, well, we was like, so we basically if we go to war, we basically have to make China promise that they're going to keep supplying us ammunition right. in our fucking war with China. So to right. me, that kind of leads more to the like, yeah, why should they stop? Right. No, I I no, from their perspective, there's no incentive. So that's and my point fact, though. That's my yeah. point. Is, and and again, and what I'm saying is I'm talking about measures to disincentivize this sort of behavior. Another thing is um you know, getting better. We want to get better than the Chinese and I completely this is the David Goldman argument. He was my editor. He's my editor at Asia Times, a friend of mine. Um I, I completely agree. The problem is and I always say this to David that the problem is is that unlike other competitors in the past None have really been as integrated into our system as China is. So how do you, I don't want to use this word, but how do you decouple to some degree the two systems so that when we do want to outpace the Chinese and out-innovate them, they're not just going to come right in and then take everything they need and put it into their system and then catch up all over again. You see the problem? So with the Soviets, we were able to isolate and contain them truly. The Chinese, they're all over us because we let them in fully through the front door. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I you know, this is probably why I'm not why I'm not in any leader, leadership position and I'm confined to a room screaming in a microphone. But I, I think it's I think everything comes down to deterrence, force. You know, we, we absolutely can all, we can all you know, I think we're in the same. I think we're agreeing on this. But I just I just look at things very Again, maybe a limitation of my own thinking. I just look at things very 
Hitler didn't agree to surrender. He shot himself. The Japanese didn't say, you know, this right. is bad. We <laughs> firebombed their cities to the point where you could smell burning flesh right. at 30,000 feet. Right. And I don't. And if it wasn't for the second nuke, they weren't going to surrender. And, yeah. and, like, I don't like any of this, man. I think it's horrible. I think it's, on the flip side, yeah, it's every human loss sucks, man. I fucking, you know, I've, right. I've been to my own sibling's funeral. I, I, I get it. It's horrible. But I also can't put my head in the sand. And I go, it all comes down to what shoulda, coulda, woulda been. And I think America right. has been able to, you know, sort of project these these moral rules because we've also been carrying the minigun. You know, you know, that's right. You uh, speak quiet right. or speak softly, but carry a big stick. I right. think right now China's going. Yeah, your stick isn't that big, and right, we should, you're right. Yeah, and it's. It's not. It's, but that's it's a what I'm talking yeah. about is trying to get us back into that that period where we have the bigger stick. Yeah. Uh, and part of it is, um, you know, another another reason I write the books I write because I don't really write about. Um, you don't write about happy topics. <laughs> no, I don't. But I also don't write about conventional topics. No. I think yeah. the most conventional book I've written, or the most conventional threat book I've written, was on the Iran. Well, was, I was on Iran. Say, yeah. and even, Winning space and, and even that is aren't normal. Right. Because. You know, so we're looking at China living up to their concept of unrestricted warfare, um, which is the old 1999 treatise they, the two senior colonels in the PLA wrote. And they wrote it after doing a deep study of U.S. military power. And they said, you know, basically they looked at Desert Storm and they said they called American technology American magic. And basically they realized after we wiped the floor with Saddam in like 100 hours that um, there's no which Saddam's forces were the fourth largest army in the world in 1991. People don't remember. Yeah. There was real fear that we were going to relive the worst aspects of Vietnam if we went into Iraq. There was a real movement against going into Iraq in 1991 because of the kind of size and force that Saddam had built up. So when we cut through his forces like butter, and that was because of GPS and that was because of all these yeah. next generation technologies, the same technologies, by the way, that that army that we deployed to fight in the desert against Saddam was the army that we were supposed to deploy to fight the Soviets in the fold of gap had they ever invaded uh, uh, West Germany. So the Chinese, who had a force very similar to Saddam Hussein's, looked around and said, oh, my God. The Americans are going to clean up on us. What? Why did they win this way? And then a few years later, there was the Taiwan Strait crisis in which the Clinton administration, basically as China's threatening to invade Taiwan and they're popping off hundreds of missile salvos to stop Taiwan from electing a pro-independence leader, Clinton said stop. They didn't stop. So then Clinton sailed two aircraft carriers through the Strait of Taiwan and that ended everything quickly because the, the Chinese re leadership realized that two aircraft carriers could basically destroy the entire Chinese military in about a week uh, back then. And so the two senior colonels who actually were actively engaged in wargaming during the, uh, the crisis over the Taiwan Strait in 96, they sat down and wrote a book. How are we going to beat the Americans? Because we can't surrender to the Americans. So how are we going to beat them? And so they identified, and I know, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but maybe your audience isn't. They came up with a list of, of things that they could do, tactics they could employ to strategically defeat the United States without directly fighting us. And if they did have to directly fight us to fight a much weakened American military. And so for the last 20 years, we've seen Beijing implement these policies and plans robustly. One of the things they want to do 
is use our civilian systems against us. And part of that civilian system is the medical system, biotechnology development. So we look at it as we want to find cures. The Chinese want to find cures. We'll partner with them. The Chinese are smiling, going, oh, yeah, we want to find cures, absolutely. But we also want to use those capabilities because they're dual use. We want to use them for bioweapons. And that's what I think COVID-19 was. And that's what I think they're going to do down the line with something far worse than coronavirus if we're not careful. Um, And that's what I'm trying to prevent with these books. Um. Was it was it 1964? China got the bomb, or was it? Yeah, yeah I believe it, that's when it was. Ni- 1964. Yeah, 49 was the Soviets, uh, and then I think 64 was the was the Chinese, and they stole that, by the way, from Russia. Yeah. So one of the reasons, one, real quick, I don't yeah. know if you know this, and this is something I found out in the last few years. One of the reasons the Sino-Soviet split happened, it wasn't just because Khrushchev didn't like Mao. That was part of it. But the real reason was because Khrushchev was PO'd that the Chinese were basically what China does to us today with industrial espionage. The Chinese were doing this since the beginning of the Sino-Soviet mm-hmm. alliance. Yeah. And they basically pilfered the nuclear bomb from the Soviets. And Khrushchev was like, I'm done. Yeah. You're you're dead to me. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the real reason. So what they're doing to us, they were doing from the beginning to the Soviets. Yeah. It's it's so they had no you're good so the so they got the bomb so sixty four and then what was the Taiwan Straits ninety five ninety six ninety five there was like a few different crises but the one that I'm referring to was nineteen ninety six all right so thirty I'm just kind of playing this idea out so thirty two yeah. years later we still went in and kind of big dicked them but they had the bomb so there there seems to be this thing where it's like um. It's like building skyscrapers to to outmatch one another. You know, it, right. it, it's not. It is, but it isn't impressive. You know, right now the Burj Khalifa is, I think, two thousand eight hundred and eighteen feet tall. Yeah, that, that's impressive. That's cool. Right. Yeah, you build and you want to top that tower. I mean, the World Trade Center was thirteen hundred and fifty feet tall. It's mm-hmm. over twice as high. Those are impressive yeah. things. But if you want to go for the number one spot, you got to go right up to it. And you, but no one gives a shit if you do twenty eight eighteen too. No, you got you got to go higher. So there kind of seems to be this thing where it's like. Once you get these sort of maxed out capabilities, they're almost written off. So once you get to 2,818 feet, you're now essentially at zero feet. And then it's who can go farther, right? Yeah. So they had the bomb for 32 years, but we could still big dick them. And it's because it's when everyone has the bomb, no one has the bomb. So you'd almost imagine... If, so let's look at why they did the unrestricted warfare because they it really was a modern take on you know you can't invade America because behind every blade of grass will be a rifle so it's kind of the same thing we can't take on current America they're too big so we got to do the unrestricted warfare the move almost seems to be match them in unrestricted warfare develop all the bioweapons too much like the A-bomb and then it comes back down to just force it's we're pulling them I think the move is to pull them into our battle space because they had the bomb. They absolutely could have nuked those carriers, but they didn't because we'd nuke them. So then it comes down to you're at 2818, zero, zero. Well, then they don't have matching carriers. So it's the move is almost like they have the bomb. We have the bomb. We need to get bioweapons too. So it comes back down to the playing field of, well, fuck, they've sure. got 13 aircraft carriers. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? But it's important. To, yes, it does. But it's important to remember, um, 
in our system and Sean McFake talks about this a lot um you know in our system it's it's we look at war and warfare sort of like pregnancies he says he always says it's you know you either are pregnant or you're not whereas in the Chinese and the Russian and the Iranian systems it's gray and the Israelis have coined the term the gray zone for to describe this kind of warfare and so you're right that we're both kind of doing tit for tat but we have a clear distinction between bioweapons in this country between bioweapons and between biotechnology being used for cures that distinction does not exist in china purposely it's not just because it's a different culture they actively develop just like they did with their space program just like they're doing with every program over there the military civil fusion mcf it used to be civil military fusion but now they flipped it military civil fusion um and that's a chinese term uh, which is basically the marriage between their civilian sector with the military. The two industrial bases are one uh, in a way that not even the Americans have un united their industrial base. And so we, our firms, our people go over to do these biotech R&D projects thinking they're just going to use the Chinese to do the riskier parts of the research. And if anything goes wrong, then the Chinese will get blamed. But if everything goes right, we all make money. Everybody's happy. But the Chinese are certainly doing that. But then they're taking all of that technology and all that money and all the capabilities that they just gleaned, and they're applying it to their bioweapons program, which is not just about developing you know, VX nerve gas or sarin. It's also about using, and, and I in the book, I, I quote this 2015 white paper that I found from a group of senior Chinese military doctors in which they gamed out and they they recommended Xi Jinping's government weaponize coronaviruses to deploy them against the United States as a means of collapsing the American medical mm -hmm. and an economic system to have longer lasting political and strategic effects. And so we don't think like this. You know, with us, it's okay, we have a bioweapon at Fort Detrick they developed. Okay, if it ever gets to war, we'll hit them with this. If it, but, but that's not how the Chinese are thinking. The Chinese are like, the Americans are not going to be able, they're going to think this is the flu. They're going to think this is something other than what it is. And they're going to turn on each other rather than turn on us the way they turned on the Japanese and bin Laden because we're going to hit them, but they're not going to know. And so that's the danger of what the Chinese are doing because you're right, a tit for tat, you know, we can easily do what they're doing when it comes to things like like coronavirus weaponization, but we're not doing it because we don't look at the world that way. And there's a certain kind of, I don't want to say arrogance, but bias to the fact that we've been the hegemon for so long. Yeah. We haven't had to think about it like that because we've been the top dog for so long. We've forgotten what it's like to be the number two or number three. You know who didn't forget, though, was our founding fathers. And I, I talk about this a little bit in the opening of the book. Um you know, the founding fathers, we were an agrarian backwater to the British Empire. The British Empire looked at the original 13 states of the United States a lot like we look at North Korea. Yeah. And how how did we become in 100, 150 years an industrialized mega power? Well, it didn't start out that way. And there was no guarantee we were going to end up that way. What happened was we did industrial espionage against the British Empire. We stole from them and we lured their best minds to come to the United States uh, to basically plant the textile industry, to plant, uh, you know, the, the dyeing capabilities that they use to create their economy. 
And we basically pilfered it like the Chinese pilfered this from us, all the technology. We did the same thing in the British Empire. And then we were able to match that to a much greater economy of scale. And that's exactly what we that's exactly what the Chinese are doing to us today. Um, and we had to be wily back then because we weren't the top dog. Whereas today we, we've kind of become dumb and fat. And, you know, it's like that line um, uh, victory has defeated us. And so yeah. we don't think of biotechnology in the same way that the Chinese do. And that's the real unfortunate thing here. Yeah, no, <clears throat> or definitely or definitely not hungry. But then it almost gets to this like. You know, God, I hate this this microphone stand so much. Um, that, but then it almost gets to this like philosophical argument. Then is like, I talked to General Spalding about this. Yep. He came on a couple months ago, and we're talking about all these just like unsurmountable things, insurmountable things. China's this, that, and the other thing, and I mean, ultimately, it gets down to like, nature doesn't give a shit. Like the most fit thing not the most moral not the best thing right the most fit thing will win and we could very well you know it's hard to because obviously we live here obviously i love this country but you know if we couldn't just sort of put it all on pot right now me and brandon just died okay we're in the afterlife we're just observing this objectively we don't know anybody at a certain point you then have to start going well is china a more fit system well they're evil and they're using bioweapons and they have concentration camps yet no they do they do but are they more fit? Uh, Germany was evil, and we beat them, not necessarily because we're the better people. It's because we were fucking massive, and we had the war powers. We had the production. We were yeah, turning they, out we, ships every hour. Capacity. We yes. just destroyed them, right? So Who has that now? Is China. Well, so my point then gets to this is like... Okay, well they they don't they they don't have black and white. They do they it's, it's all the gray area and they don't have these moral problems and they blah 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 and they're willing to kill and do this and steal and do that and it's like yes, we're we're kind of all pouting and we're going like this isn't fair, you know. They're using steroids that are undetectable and yes, that's not fair. And yeah, they're destroying the game of whatever basketball, but at a certain point it's like yeah. But if you want to win, at a certain point you got to go, okay, fuck it, then I'm taking the steroids if I want. That right. doesn't make it right. I'm just kind of, if we can just detach from this. So the the question that arises is a communist system more fit? Was a democratic republic system the most fit thing for dinosaurs at one time were the most fit? They were the size of houses and had armor and that's all well and good. Right now we just drone strike them, but you have different levels of fitness for different times. So it could just be that a communist dictatorship is the more fit system and it might be the most fit system for 500 years and then something else will come along. And then you got to back up and go, is America, you know, the idea that there is freedom for all of its flaws and all of its setbacks? It is freedom. And it's, you know, it's in this unique area where, you know, it's like rolling double sixes. It's not only is it the place where you have a bill of rights and civil liberties, but it's also in a resource rich area between two oceans right. with an Arctic right. hellscape above us and a mm -hmm. funnel down to wherever the fuck the canal mm -hmm. is below. Kind of once in a trillion roll of the dice. How valuable is that? Will it ever arise again? And what steps can you take to preserve it? And then it comes down to, are we just going to sit back and go, China's playing unfair? Or at a certain point, do you go, yeah, we're just going to wipe them out? Under what pretext? I don't know. No one's going to agree with it. And if the answer is no, that's fine. But right. they're gonna at the current rate they're going, they're going to win. It's just, 
It is what it is. No one likes it. I don't like it. Well, I've, this is why I would be very, I would be paying very close attention because um, there. I actually don't think they're communists really anymore. I think they're Nazis. I what, think whatever they, whatever they, the and power so, hungry machine. Right, but whatever. but what I what I'm getting at is I do think that like Hitler and the Japanese, the fascists of old, I think they're going to overestimate their power, partly because we're sending signals of pure weakness under Biden. Um, but I think they're going to overestimate their power. They are all convinced in the Chinese elite, not only is America declining, but that we're going to go away very soon. That this we're like the Soviet Union on its final day in its yeah. final days. Maybe that's the case, but I don't see it that badly yet. So I think what's going to happen, and I think people forget before World War II, this country was falling apart. I mean, the Great Depression, people hated it. I mean, a lot of people loved FDR, but a lot of people were looking at FDR saying, this guy is a tyrant. And in many respects, he was four-term Franklin, um, you know, yeah. trying to pack the core. I mean, this guy, you know, Four and people forget. Insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People forget. I mean, people forget that there were people born in 1933 when FDR was first elected as president who for 16 years didn't know a different president. That is like, fucking insane, just that. as an aside. Like, like, that is wild. Just think about it, right? Isn't that like you think about it that Six, way? You're like, holy cow, I, I had the same four president terms. in this guy. For 16 years. That would be it, like if I was in, that's the fourth term of Obama right now. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like if he hadn't died, he was going to keep running. That is a guarantee. If he had not died in office, FDR would have kept running like the Energizer battery. He would have kept going yeah. and going and going. And so my point is, is that this country was deeply divided before the Nazis and the Japanese really stepped beyond their real power base. And then they got, you know, they got slammed for it. Now, my belief is that looking at what's going on with Taiwan, I don't think the Pentagon is right. You know, Millie and the boys are saying, oh, it's going to be 2027, the earliest um, before China can hit Taiwan. I disagree. I think it could be as early as the next six months. I think probably 2025 is going to be the year they hit Taiwan. Um, and that is going to trigger a series of responses, especially if we have a Republican as president, whether it's Trump or DeSantis, I can guarantee you that the response to a Chinese attack on Taiwan will be far tougher than what the Democrats will do. Um, but um, I think that if the Chinese think that we're on our last legs and they just have to push us over, I believe that they will attack Taiwan soon, just like you know Hitler attacked the Brits, just like Jap Japan attacked us in the Pearl Harbor attack. And I think they might end up regretting it because I don't think that China just yet is ready for the kind of global warfare that they're going to trigger. I think in another 10 or 15 years, maybe. Um, but the reason they've had to do unrestricted warfare is because they are inherently the weaker power. And so they have to always be worried that if they hit us too soon, the balance of power won't yet be flipped in their favor. Never and so that's the way the to the king's cauldrons. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was the book? Hundred Year Marath Pillsbury. Pillsbury. Ne never yeah. asked the way yeah. of the king's cauldrons. That's right. That's right. And so the problem is that when you're dealing with a dictator like Hitler or or a military junta like Tojo or Xi Jinping, the concern is their personalities are such. Like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, Hitler was basically, "I'm not surrendering ever. I'm gonna, you know, kill myself." Well, the thing, the reason he did that is because he was one in a million in terms of psychology of leadership. Yeah. Okay. It was very rare that you're going to go up against a guy like that, but she is in that club. 
So there's a great group of University of Wisconsin graduate students who did a deep dive on the dark. And actually, the CIA, I think, consulted with them at one point. I think this was back in 2019. They did a deep psychological assessment of Xi Jinping. And they did the dark triad and all that. And I'm not a psychologist, so, you know, forgive me. But um, basically, they found that he was in the upper percentile of the most Machiavellian and power-hungry type and, and cold-hearted leaders this country has ever gone up against in terms of world leaders. So that is one in a million. So you could have a situation arise if you're talking about, can we collapse them before they really become the kind of threat that could beat us? Um, I think Xi's gonna basically collapse himself in the sense that he's probably gonna overstep as previous dictators with the kind of military power that he has did. Uh, and then it's going to force us to get our act together. Because right now, we don't have our act together. But in his history's terms, we can get our act together pretty quickly. No, we, we, we can. I don't like that. I get what you're saying. I, I don't like the idea of relying on China's hubris. Of, Neither do I. Because, I mean, they could look at this and fuck the, you know, you, you, by virtue, you just look at this podcast and they might go, let's, you know, if we're doing a hundred year plan, let's wait in another 10 years for Taiwan. Why assume America is on its last leg? Why not make sure? But then you have the whole, this weird kind of self-defeating paradox. The very person that succeeds enough to get into the, the position of power is often Machiavellian. In their mind, they might go, yeah, fuck the 100-year plan. I want to see it in my lifetime. And then that's where you right. get all the, the feedback systems of to get to that point. You also have to exactly. be an asshole. But, like, yep. it's it's weird. It's, it, it, it's, it's weird because, you know, to, to Biden's credit, which is a sentence I'll probably never say again, but to Biden's credit, like, yeah, man, he, you know, he, they, you know, any fear that he's, uh, and I don't, I don't think he's a good president, but I mean, any fear, you can't say that he's like not afraid to go light shit up by virtue of the fact that we've given like a trillion dollars to Ukraine, about a tenth of that in weapons. I mean, that kind of a late, you know, Jimmy Carter. Of course, like, the Ukrainians a, bought and paid for him. Yeah, I understand. No, I'm, I'm very aware. Of, I'm very aware of all of that. <laughs> but well, even then, that still shows that he's willing to fucking be an evil motherfucker, right? So. Right. You know, in the same sense, it's like Jimmy Carter's a pussy. And then it's like, well, he authorized the creation of Delta Force. So it's like it, the, the right. two sentences can't exist together. So I don't know about that, but. But he also, I mean, I'm not a Carter fan at all. No, but no, he, no, was Hyman, I, he was he was Hyman Rickover's longtime aide, who was the father of the nuclear submarine force. And you don't get to be at that level unless you can survive the wrath of Rickover because yeah. he was legendary as the biggest a-hole to work yeah. for in the Navy. And yeah. if it hadn't been for Carter's parents dying or getting sick where he needed to go take over the family he peanut been, farm yeah. business, he was going to be the chief of staff for the Navy. I mean, he was yeah. going to be the, the chief of the joint chief of uh, staffs for the Navy. So, which is what his wife preferred. Um, so you're right. I mean, Carter, you know, you, you, you shouldn't underestimate all these people. Yeah. No, I, I, I got you. Um, if you really want to take China down, I mean, we could, it's odd because on at any given moment, you could just have every night show, every brain dead comedian. They're all the same. John Oliver, they're all the same. They're just a guy in a suit go to Trump bad. You could have all of them, and it wouldn't even be out of character for them to start attacking China and, and their concentration camps of Uyghurs, right? You know, talk about Islamophobia. Right. It, it served right up for you. And then also, like, 
They won't even put black people on billboards there. Like they have to edit the oh, di- the Disney bi- the Disney racist. billboards. So like, yeah. it's already served up that like you could change the entire public opinion of China. Half the country with a brain already knows they're evil, but the other half thinks it's xenophobic to call the China virus a China virus. Right. But you could switch it in a mo- and then. I mean, back to kind of this philosophical. But the reason they don't, the reason they don't, is because the corporations that own the media companies well, exactly. that these guys work for are bought and paid yeah, for exactly. by China. Ex- exactly. So, well, and then it comes down to, I mean, do you sit down at the corporations and go, "You're not going to be able to keep doing this forever until China takes over"? So, That's like, what you have to do. But then it comes back to like the philosophical argument of like where I'm laying out is like you know. America for all of its setbacks. I'm not retarded. I understand that. And for all of its flaws, it's still the least worst place to have ever existed, right? Okay. I, agree. I think we're all agreeing. And then I agree. the one in the trillion, it's the where the where it's located and the okay. So I've 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 right. made the point that it's kind of an Eden. And then I'm also saying, you know, what would you do to defend it? Well, theoretically you would do anything to to, to ensure its survival, including preemptively removing China. If we are taking my line of logic and preemptively removing China. Are we a better system if we are going to kill a billion people to keep this, this place alive? And that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to kill a billion. It could just mean we collapse them. But at this point, I don't see any other way. I don't think we can do this dance where it's like, we got to make, I think at a certain point, the presidents are going to come out and be like, do you like McDonald's? Do you like a a thousand dollar iPhone? All that's going out the window. Or we can nuke China. You won't have to see it. We'll do it from orbit. At what point do we come down to where a general just goes, listen, there's, we're not even going to false flag this. China has to die or you no longer get Uber Eats. That's, that is ultimately like the very end. I, I'll stop all the foreplay. Think, do you want no, fucking you, Netflix or do you want mushroom clouds over? Get, I don't think it ever has to go kinetic if we do what I'm saying. There's a good reason I don't think why ever, I'm not in a position I don't think of power. It, I don't think it ever has to go kinetic because the Chinese still now it's not going to be this way forever, which is why I keep saying the window is now Chinese still need us, for instance, for uh, semiconductors, for chip manufacturing. They still need us for access to our high tech firms. They still need us for access to our biotech firms. They still need access. And all we have to do is close that down. Trump was the guy trying to close all this down. And it was the so-called deep state that was stopping him at every turn. Um, you know, the, the, these things can be done non-kinetically. And once you do what I've been saying and what Spalding has been saying, um, what Gordon Chang has been talking about, once you do that, you've then slowed their progress down to the point that we can then pull ahead of them again. We can do the David Goldman approach of a trillion dollars, R&D funding, all that. And then what you do is when you pull ahead of them and you're not giving them as much access or preferably any access to our system anymore, you then look to them like we did the Soviets and say, okay, guys, you want to you wanna risk war? Well, guess what? We've got all these new technologies that we've developed. We're the king of the world again, unquestionably. And you guys are going to be in your little corner like the Soviets were, and we're going to keep you there indefinitely until you basically just wither and die. But we can't do that part until we start cutting them off. And that's going to require us getting tough with corporations. That's going to require our elected leaders standing up to these corporate leaders who don't want to get tough with China because they've got a lot of vested interests. And so, um, 
you know, we can do it though. We did it before. We did it in World War II. Remember, a lot of our big corporations were happily in bed with the Nazis, and then <laughs> yeah. that ended. Yeah. That Lovely. ended once once the government said this is going to stop. Otherwise, we're going to sue. I mean, people forget the IRS and the government. It's it's an American's worst enemy if you run afoul of them. But it can also be Americans' best friend if there's an American corporation that's doing bad things. All you have to do is sick the DOJ and IRS on those corporations, and they're going to stop it real quick. Why? Because corporations go for the low-hanging fruit. They go for the path of least resistance because that's the cheapest, most affordable path. And right now, it's super cheap and super easy for them to do things like tech transfers, to do things like partnering with research hubs in China. Um but you make that more difficult even a little bit by threatening you know new laws and new legal action they're going to at least slow that operation down uh and then that gives you a window of opportunity to then get ahead of the enemy without ever having to fire an actual shot that's the key thing here neither china doesn't want to get into a direct war with us unless they think they can beat us and so we've got to dissuade them of the idea that even with unrestricted warfare, that the Chinese are going to be able to beat us. And so what I'm talking about in the book, what I've been talking about when I brief the military, when I talk to Congress and I talk to these academic groups, this is the stuff I'm talking about is we can beat them non-militarily. We can prevent it from going to military. But that window of opportunity is rapidly closing. And once it closes, that's when the bloodshed starts. And that's when we don't know if we can definitely win then. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to think to... They don't want it to go militarily. So me, it's, I'm like, well, then let's go militarily. That's just kind of how I mean, we don't I get, want it to go militarily either, because then there's the whole nuclear mutual assured destruction. And then, you know, it's, it's not it's not ideal. No, no, of course it's not. And again, there's a reason why I'm it's like throwing Napoleon out to an island. There's a reason why I'm relegated to a room like I'm, and this is admittedly probably where I belong. But like, I don't know. I <laughs> I think we might be looking at it and going, you released COVID. Let's say we released COVID. We're doing it to decouple from China. And then you push Ukraine. You use Ukraine as a meat grinder to drain Russia and have Russia. Now China is forced to make a decision. Are we going to back Russia or not? If they do, you are now making China bad. Just you've you know now it's it was Orange Man bad. Now it's Russia bad. Right. Soon it could be China bad. You make Taiwan, Ukraine. You've now paired those two together. Now you're kind of forcing them, forcing them to war or killing them together. I think that's probably like just hundred thousand foot view. I think that's probably America and the West's best chance of survival is to make China have to ally with Russia. Taiwan will become the next Ukraine have two of these things everyone funding and it's it's, it, I mean, it's it's terrible because fucking people are dying but I mean in terms of just nations going up against one another it's probably the best chance I to you know part of me hopes that that is the actual plan because from what I've seen in government I don't think that level high level of strategy making is actually at play um i i really i think so many of our people are just dumb in terms of the people leading us so i mean i would hope that we maybe have that level of deviousness but i i i gotta tell you i i i don't see it i i i I don't you know i i would hope that that is the case because that actually is oddly reassuring because right now what it looks like to me is that 
Um, China launched a weapon at us that we actually helped them build. They launched it at us, and then the government refused to, our government refused to blame China. In fact, they sided with China in terms mm-hmm. of saying this was totally natural. Then we re-implemented, or we implemented <laughs> rather, the same kind of lockdown protocols that the Chinese government was doing. You know, and then at the same time, the Russians hit Ukraine because Biden was signaling that he, if it's just a little invasion or a small incursion, I won't do anything. You know, so, I mean, you know, maybe there is a larger strategy that some group of people deep inside the government has gamed out. But I don't I don't think that's at play here. The the scarier thing for me is that we got caught with our britches down. Our government is refusing to acknowledge the problems that we face because that would upset the status quo. And if we keep going at it the way we are, we're going to get caught completely by surprise and then we're going to lose. Um, so, you know, maybe you're right, though. Maybe that is, you know, that would be great. I did hear I've heard this before that, you know, COVID came from America. Um, I think it did. I, I really yeah. do. I just got feeling just, I mean, if I had just had to look at, I think it was us and I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a presidential administration. I probably think it's some kind of deeper Pentagon planning. Um, and I don't think it's that wild of an assumption. Release it there next. This is my point of view. Cause I had on, I've had on multiple times, you know, Dr. Ken Albeck of the Soviet Union biopreparate. I had him on here yeah. with Dr. McCullough. That was a, a rare pairing. And I was like, I was expecting Dr. Alabeck to give this intense genetic fingerprint explanation. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him, I was like, was it a bioweapon? And he goes, this coronavirus from Wuhan, where Wuhan researching coronavirus. What do you think? And I was just this simplistic. But then, so my first thoughts of our... our so that's the most simplistic we all go of course it is which then leads me to believe of course it's fucking not because when is anything ever that simple well when you look at and well you know when you look at the research in the book that i have if you if you look at what's been said so far we can trace the money trail from eco health alliance nih niaid doing risky gain of function tests on coronaviruses and then the obama administration of all groups told Collins, Dr. Collins of the NIH and Fauci, stop doing this research at University of North Carolina, because if this coronavirus, SHC-014, if it gets out, it's going to destroy the economy. It's going to be a horrible pandemic. And so Collins said, "Okay, we'll stop it. But what he actually did was he told Fauci or Fauci did this on his own. NIAID takes all that data, all that research they're doing at UNC, and they give it to Eco Health Alliance, a nonprofit third party, who has direct linkages to Dr. Xi Li, the bat lady of Wuhan in Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then she starts developing it. Uh, and this is paired with that that report I was telling you about, about the doctors in China, the military doctors, saying we can develop coronaviruses into a weapon to use against the United States. So, I mean, I do think it, this was a bioweapon. I don't I do think you could make the argument because of what I just said, that it came from America in the sense that some of our firms and some of our our government agencies interested in coronavirus vaccination research were partnering with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But I don't believe that the intention was to purposely release it in China. 
I think the intention was to get an mRNA capability vaccine that in the Fauci's case, I talk about this specifically in the book, Fauci since the 80s was obsessed with using mRNA to cure HIV AIDS. That was his great white whale. And there are multiple 2006 studies that I found and I cite in the book that indicate that they were trying to use mRNA vaccination research into coronaviruses to then be able to say, we have a methodology for using this. Let's apply it to other diseases like HIV. That was what Fauci and his team were interested in. And when Obama's National Security Review Board said, guys, stop this risky research at UNC, Fauci took it into his own hands and said, oh, yeah, we'll stop it. We're going to give it to the Chinese, though. They'll do the research and we'll benefit because we're partnered and we'll get royalties and we'll get all the prestige if we find a cure or whatever. Um, so I don't think this thing was a bioweapon in the sense that we created it as a bioweapon to launch on China. I think we created it to try to, to get all these backdoor mRNA vaccines. And then the Chinese took it and was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll on the face do it with mRNA. But, oh, by the way, there's a whole military component that we're going to marry it to that you're not aware of. And we're going to hit you when you least expect it. And, and that's what I and if you look at it in the book, I talk about this when I was briefing uh, the military in 2020, um, I went in it was like i can't remember if it was january or march 2020 it was right when coronavirus was getting here in the united states it's one of the last trips i made before the country was locked down i was at a very classified facility and i was briefing uh air, air force special forces uh about my general talk that i always give which is on geotechnology and that's how, where high technology r d affects national security and one of the subjects was biotech that i always touch on and so i mentioned to them that we had found my my, my wife and i had found doing research for various reasons we had found all these french academic papers um, that had managed to get early samples of coronavirus dna and they were being actively deleted uh from the internet um, but one of the papers I was able to save, and I cite it in the book, um, they had taken early samples from coronavirus and they had found that it was a chimeric illness, which means it was a hybrid. And basically it was a coronavirus DNA, but it had spliced into it. It had, first of all, it had a furin cleavage site, which always indicates that it's artificially created. Um, it was spliced into it was HIV, uh, malaria, Ebola, um, cancer, um, and um, I think that was it. And basically that to many scientists, while you could say that that's the tree of life, many scientists said the presence of that fear and cleavage site coupled with the weird mixture of the, the, the DNA from these other illnesses indicated to them that this likely came from a lab. Uh, and so I think that this was a bioweapon, a bioengineered disease. And people like Senator Cotton, who think it came from the lab, they say it was an accidental leak. I don't think it was an accidental leak because the military, when I said this to the military at the time, first of all, I was banned from the base after saying it. I was <laughs> banned. And for two years, because it, as long as the colonel was there and he was transferred out, so I have since been asked to come back to that base. I was last there in august of last year um but i was banned for two years from that base i lost that that deal and um uh shortly afterward i went to another uh, event for the military where i was talking about the same thing and um two marine corps 
colonels with marine intelligence came up to me after my talk and they were throwing around terms like biological 9-11. That was their buzzword. This, this was a biological 9-11. And so when I was talking to them, I didn't even initially think about the, I was like, okay. And, and, and I, I talked to them for about an hour after the event and I said, you know, let's game it out. Why, you know, I was like you did to me earlier. I was trying to be devil's advocate. Well, why, why do you think that? Well, what their thought was, was look, 2019, what's going on? Donald Trump is the first president in 50 years to do an agricultural trade war. First country to use that against the Chinese. Chinese have been doing trade war on us since Nixon opened business with China. They were using trade. Peter Navarro talks about this. This is what made Peter Navarro famous before he went to the government. This is what, you know, Curtis Ellis, the late great Curtis Ellis, who was a friend of mine, um, phenomenal writer. Uh, he was talking about this. Trump was the first president who actually used Chinese tactics in terms of a trade war on China. They did not think that an American leader would ever again arise who would do to them what they did to us. Trump went after a specific area before he did the tech war. Even he went after food. He went after our food production going to China. Now that hurt us. That hurt our industry a little bit because trade wars are never one sided. But what that signaled to Xi Jinping, who is ensconced in this unrestricted warfare mentality, he didn't look at Trump, the businessman turned president, just trying to get a better deal for American farmers, which is what I think Trump was doing. He looked at it as if I were in Trump's shoes, this is exactly what I would be doing, because I would know that in China, um, the number one killer of regimes is famine. So by making foodstuffs higher in price, harder to get to, that's going to cause me to look bad as the leader, and they're going to overthrow me. And so for him, this was part of a unrestricted war that Trump was launching on China. And at the same time, what's going on is those Hong Kong pro-democracy protests. And so Xi Jinping is linking things together that probably shouldn't have been linked together because I don't think we're smart enough to try something like this. Um, but he's in his head, he's going, he's mirror imaging. He's saying, oh, this is what I would do. This is what I have been doing to the Americans. They're doing it to me now. So he's forced to renegotiate from a position of weakness. He signs a trade deal. And I cite in the book all the Chinese economists saying, well, yeah, the actually the, the trade deal is bad for us. So he signs this very bad trade deal for Chinese uh, for the Chinese economy. And then just a month or two after signing that that trade deal, what happens? Oh, coronavirus suddenly starts making its ugly appearance. That's not a coincidence in my view. And, and like I said, the, the strategic white paper that the Chinese military doctors wrote in 2015 was all about, and that's the same year, by the way, that NIH and NIAID, NIAID through EcoHealth Alliance handed over the coronavirus uh, research to Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, that's the same year that the paper was written about how they could weaponize coronaviruses in China and deploy it against the United States to collapse our medical and economic systems to have long lasting strategic and political effects. The number one political threat to China was that if Donald Trump, who at the time was coasting to reelection, people forget in 2019, Donald Trump had survived impeachment. He had survived every witch hunt they had launched against him. He was going to win by a landslide in, in 2020 until the, the virus hits. Virus hits. The whole thing falls apart. He's blamed. Um, brings out the worst aspects of his personality, per, I think. Um, and he loses. Whether by hook or by crook, he loses. 
China removed their number one threat to them, the only president in 50 years who used trade as a weapon against them. And who do they get to replace him? Oh, they get Joe Biden, who is probably a Chinese asset on some level or another. And so for me, I think this was a bioweapon. I think you're right to say that we probably unwittingly helped them develop it, thinking that we're going to get, you know, cutting corners to get cures faster. The Chinese had a larger plan. The Chinese are at war with us. They've been at war with us. Remember Mao's, one of his original slogans in 1949, he said it when he gave the speech declaring the creation of the People's Republic of China when he beat Chiang Kai-shek. His speech concluded with the line, or was toward the end, one of the lines he said was, catch up to Great Britain and overtake the United States. This is part of Pillsbury's 100-year plan or marathon, and I think there's something to this, and I think that this is how the Chinese think, and we just don't think like this. I'm not going to try to even follow up that fucking brilliant rant. <clears throat> so with that, we're going to wrap this up. That All was right. that was a – I love and hate talking to you because it's good for me because <laughs> it brings me down to earth, and it's bad for me because it brings me down to earth. Um, uh, yeah, Jesus, I, I live dude. in what Rush Limbaugh used to say, Realville. Ugh, I live no, in Realville. So you live in high you, blood you talk pressure, to me about though. UFOs, and I will give you a breakdown of why I think it's exotic U.S. military, Russian, and Chinese technology. I don't think it's little green men. You you talk to me about biotech, and I'm going to tell you what I think. So, text me, and I want to do a UFO episode with you, Stat. Oh, I would um, love to. Hey, I'm available um, next week if you want to do another quick hit. No, seriously, send me a text, and we'll get it scheduled. Um, okay. Uh, but dude, with that, we got to wrap this one up. Um, guys, please go into the uh, description, follow Brandon on uh, on Twitter, and go buy his book. Go go buy Biohacked. It's it's terrifying. Go and buy if, all my books. Go buy all of them. I was gonna. <laughs> get, I'm gonna fuck. I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna do you dirty. I was gonna tie in winning space. All right. All right, you want to take the? You fine. It's your job now. I don't, I'm, I'm not Mr. Podcast. Oh no no no! You you. I'm not. No, I was gonna say, and if you want some more fuck, if you don't want the small and the micro, yeah, I was gonna throw in a line about the macro and winning space. And, oh yeah. All right, no no no. Just welcome to Brandon Cast. He knows how to do my. No, go buy all the books. They're great. I wouldn't keep having them on <laughs> if I didn't like them. Please go follow him on Twitter. Please go grab the books. Uh, you can get them on. You can get it on Kindle. You can get them on whatever. And um. Yeah, man. Shoot me a text and let's schedule a UFO episode. And until next time, much love, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You guys, have a good thank day. you for watching. YouTube, Recording man. Stopped. Take care, everybody. God bless. Peace.